Section twenty one of the Macdermots of Ballycloran. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The Macdermots of Ballycloran by Anthony Trollope. Section twenty one. The McEwans, part two. Then it won't be your fault. You can tell her it's just for the races and the ball you're asking her that she may see Mr. McEwan's horse win the race and dance with Usher at the ball afterwards. Oh, if you mean her to come, she'll come fast enough. Let you alone for carrying your point when you're in earnest. I know your way of asking when you don't mean to take a refusal. And to give you your due this day, I never heard you give an invitation you didn't mean to be accepted. Well, Father John, as you think it will be of so much service to Feemy, and as, as you say, she has no mother, poor girl, of her own, and no female friend that she can look to, I'll ask her over here, but it mustn't be for a week or a fortnight, but till the affair of Captain Usher is finally settled. And if the girl behaves herself as she ought, when once she is here, Tony won't see her wronged by any man. That's my own friend, said Father John, with tears in his eyes. What could any poor priest like me do in a parish if it wasn't that there were such women as yourself to help him? But, Father John, whisper here, and she took him aside to the window and spoke in a low voice. You can't have helped hearing the stories people have been talking about Feemy, as I have heard them. Of course you must. Heard them? Of course I have. But you know what lies get talked abroad But they say she walks with him after dark and goes in and out there at Ballycloran At all hours just as she pleases of course. I can have none of those doings here Of course not it is because she has no one there to tell her what is right or wrong that I wish her to be here Of course you have regular hours here and you'll find you'll have no difficulty with her that way well father john i've only one more thing to say and you'll answer me that as a priest and a christian god knows i wouldn't believe any ill-natured story against any poor girl situated as feemy is but you know such things will get about people say usher speaks of her as his mistress instead of as his wife now father john if this unfortunate girl whom i'm ready and willing to help has done anything really wrong you would not be the means of bringing her into the house with my own dear girls have you father john told me all you know about her attachment to this man indeed then if she was unfit to associate with your girls mrs McEwen, i'd be the last man on earth to ask you to invite her here if feemy has been imprudent in going out too much alone with usher it's the most that with truth can be said against her and if you ask me to tell you all i'll tell you one thing i didn't wish to mention before the girls and father john told her how thady had got drunk and insulted usher telling him not to come to ballycloran again and all that but he did not tell her how strongly he suspected that thady was right in his fears for his sister and that his chief object in getting feemy away from ballycloran was to remove her as far as possible from usher's influence well father john i'll go to ballycloran and ask her here 
I suppose she'd hardly be ready to come today, but if she pleases, I'll drive over again for her after tomorrow. I'll go now and talk Louis over, for you and she seem to have quarrelled somehow. And God bless you, Mrs. McEwen. It's yourself is a good woman, and you never did a kinder action than the one you're going to do this morning. And Father John took his leave. The breakfast party at Ballycloran the morning after the wedding was not a very lively one. Indeed, the meals at Ballycloran seldom were very gay, but this was more than usually sombre. Larry was brooding over Keegan's threats, his fears that Thady meant to betray him into the attorney's hands, and his determination never from that day forth to stir from his fireside, lest the horrid myrmidons of the law should pounce upon him. Feemy was intent on the insults which had been offered to her lover, and her temper was somewhat soured by the remembrance that she had not effected her purpose of questioning Usher about his intentions. Thady, however, was the blackest looking of the family. Everything was dark within his breast. He thought of the ruffians with whom he had leagued himself, and though previously he had only considered them as poor, hard-used, somewhat lawless characters, they now appeared to him everything that was iniquitous and bad secret murder was their object black foul midnight murder and he was sworn or soon would be sworn not only to help them but to lead them on what he had already done might hang him he felt his life to be in the power of each of those blackguards with whom in wretched equality he had been drinking on the previous evening and what had led him to this if he had been wronged and injured why could not he redress himself like other injured men if revenge were necessary to him why could he not avenge himself like a man instead of leaguing with others to commit murder in the dark like a coward and a felon and then he thought of his position with keegan and usher there was something manly in his original disposition he would have given anything for a stand-up fight with the attorney with equal weapons if it had been sure death to both he would have fought him to the death but he had no such opportunity the dastardly brute had trampled on him when he could not turn against him and then with rancorous hatred he thought of the blow that keegan had struck him of the manner in which he had insulted his father and worse than that of the name he had applied to his sister and remembering all this he almost reconciled himself to the only means he had of punishing the wretch that had inflicted all these injuries on him then he thought of usher and the scene which had passed between them last night he knew he had been drunk and had but a very confused recollection of what he had done or said he remembered however that he had insulted usher this did not annoy him but he had a faint recollection of having committed his sister's name by talking of her in his drunken brawl and of having done or said something he knew not what to father john though thady had never known the refinements of a gentleman or the comforts of good society still he felt that the fall even from his present station to that in which he was going to place himself would be dreadful but it was not the privations which he might suffer but the disgrace the additional disgrace which he would bring on his family which afflicted him how could he now presume to prescribe to Feemy what her conduct should be or to his father in what way he should act respecting the property? 
he already felt as though he was unworthy of either of them and was afraid to look them in the face after breakfast he wandered forth striving to attend to his usual work but the incentives to industry were all gone he had no longer any hope that industry would be of service to him he walked along the hedges and ditches unconsciously planning in his mind the different ways of committing the crimes which he really so abhorred but in which he was about to pledge himself to join he thought if it should be his lot to murder keegan how he would accomplish it should it be at night or in the day would he shoot him and if he did would not the powder or the gun be traced home to him would not his footsteps in the bog be tracked and known if he struck him down in the road would not the blood be found on his coat or his shirt be torn in the struggle and above all would not his own comrades betray him he had some short time since heard the whole of a trial for murder at carrick assizes and though he had not then paid particular attention to it all the horrid detail and circumstances of the case now came vividly before his mind's eye he planned and plotted how had he in that case been the murderer he would have foreseen and proved against the different things the untoward accidents which then came in evidence against the prisoner he thought how much more wary he would be than the poor wretch who was then tried and of what benefit the experience he had gained would be to him then he remembered that the principal witness in the case was an ill-featured sullen-looking fellow who had been called king's evidence one who in answering the tormenting questions put to him had appeared almost more miserable than the prisoner himself that this man had been the friend and assistant of the murderer the sharer and promoter of all his plans the man who had led him on to the murder his sworn friend he remembered how it had come out on the trial that the two had for months shared the same bed tilled in the same field eat from the same mess and had sinned together in the same great sin yet this man had come forward to hang his friend and thady shuddered coldly as he thought how likely it might be that his associates would betray him had he not slept eat and worked with them he was not leagued to them by equal rank equal wants and equal sufferings if that wretched witness had been induced to give evidence against the man so strongly bound to him how much more likely that burn or reynolds should hang him or pat brady and as brady's name occurred to him he remembered usher's caution respecting that man and his assurance that he was in keegan's pay if this were true he had already committed the oversight to guard against which he had calculated that his superior cunning would be sufficient and then the cold perspiration trickled from his brow and he abruptly stopped leaning against a bank to meditate again on the position in which he stood it was not that during this time thady had been absolutely planning murder he had not been making any definite scheme to be carried into immediate execution against any individual he was not a murderer even in mind or wish he would have given anything to have driven the idea from his mind but he could not he could not avoid thinking what he would do if he had resolved to do the deed how the crime would be most safely perpetrated how the laws most cunningly evaded 
then he half resolved to have nothing more to do with reynolds and his followers and to quiet his conscience while yet he possibly could but the insolence of keegan the injuries of usher and the sure enmity of those whom he had sworn to join and now scarcely dared to desert stifled his remorse and destroyed the resolution before it was half made he thought of enlisting but he could not desert his sister of going to father john and confessing all but would father john befriend him after his late conduct to him thus he wandered on through the whole long morning twice he returned to the house and creeping in through the back door got himself a glass of spirits which he swallowed and again sallied forth to find if movement would give him comfort or his thoughts suggest anything to him in mitigation of his sorrows as he was returning the third time for the same bad purpose for the short stimulus of the dram was the only relief he could find to the depression which seemed to weigh him down and make his heart feel like a cold lump within and just as he was turning from the avenue to the back of the house he met usher walking down he did not know what to do he remembered that the evening before he had defied this man and even recollected that he had arrogantly declared that he should not again set foot on ballycloran he had forbade him the house as if he had been the master and at the present moment he felt as though he did not dare address him for it seemed to him as if every one now would look down on him as he looked down on himself as if every one could see what was in his breast as plainly as he saw it himself this annoyance however was of short duration for usher passed him with a slight unembarrassed nod as if nothing had passed between them on the previous evening as if they were still good friends and had met and been talking together but a short time before usher had walked by quickly but there was a look of satisfaction or rather gratified vanity in his face he seemed also absorbed with the subject of his thoughts thady however as soon as he had passed took but little notice of him but walked on into the kitchen at the rear of the house here on a small settle by the fireside where he had been placed out of the way by biddy or catty sat a ragged bare-legged little boy known as patsy the priest's gossoon he was the only assistant judy had in the management of father john's menage he ran on errands to Drumsna and occasionally to Carrick on Shannon, fetched the priest's letters, dug his potatoes, planted his cabbages, and cleaned his horse paw. He had now come up to Ballycloran with a message to Thady, and having been desired to stay there till he could see him himself, he had been quietly sitting in the kitchen since a little after Thady had first left the house. He now jumped up to give his message. Mr. Thady, your honour, Father John says as how he'll be glad of your honour'll come down to dinner with him at six, and he says as how you must come, Mr. Thady, because divil a bit he'll ate himself, he says, till you're in it. For shame, Patsy, interposed Biddy, putting those words into his riverence's mouth. I'm sure thin Father John wasn't cursing that way. Face thin, man, thin were his very words. Tell Mr. Thady if he don't come down to the cottage to his dinner this day, divil a bit will I ate till he does. Well, to hear the brat, continued Biddy, shocked at the indecorous language which was put into her priest's mouth. And who's to be at Father John's else? said Thady. Sorrow one of me rightly knows then, 
for I wasn't hearing. All I were told were, I want to come out of this without your honour. But I can't go tonight, Patsy. But Father John says you must, Mr. Thady. Tell Father John, Patsy, that I am very much obliged to him, but that I am just not well enough to come out tonight. I couldn't go tonight, do you hear? Go down and tell him so, or he'll be waiting dinner. But Mr. Thady, said the boy, half sobbing, Father John said as how I want to come at all without you. Do as I tell you, you fool. But mind you tell Father John I'm very much obliged to him, only I'm ill. Well, muttered the boy, at length taking his departure. I know Father John'll be very mad, but anyway, it ain't my fault. Thady was gratified with the priest's invitation, for it showed that he at least had forgiven him, but he did not dare to face him by accepting it. He got himself another glass of whiskey, and lighting his pipe, sat down to smoke by the kitchen fire. After he had been some time sitting there, Pat Brady came into the kitchen. Thady, however, took no notice, except muttering something in answer to Pat's usual salutation. They remained both some time silent, till at last Brady observed that they'd all of them had elegant diversion last night. Most of them stayed a power later than you, Mr. Thady. This allusion to last night was not at present the subject most likely to make Thady talk freely, so he still continued silent. At last, Pat said, Could I speak to you a moment, Mr. Thady? Speak out. What is it? Oh, it's business, Your Honour. It's something about money. Wouldn't you step out to the rent office? Don't you see I'm just going to dinner? Besides, I ain't well. It'll keep till tomorrow, I suppose. But it won't keep, Mr. Thady. At this moment, Biddy, who had been taking some smoking viands out of a big black pot and transferring them to a dish, went out of the kitchen with them on her road to the dining room, and Pat took the opportunity of whispering to his master that the boys were to meet at Mulready's on the next evening. What of that? answered Thady. I suppose some of them meet there mostly every night. But tomorrow's the night, Mr. Thady. When your honour's to be initiated among the sworn brothers, I shan't be in it at all tomorrow. Then, not be in it? Why you promised, and the boys is all noticed now. Didn't you take the oath, Mister Thady? And he whispered down close to his ear, "I took no oath about any day. I suppose I needn't come before I choose." Biddy now returned, and Thady got up to go to his dinner. Pat followed him and renewed the conversation in the passage. Thady, however, would give no definite promise to come tomorrow, or the next day, but said he meant to come some day. Pat observed that the boys would be furious, that they would think themselves deceived and betrayed, then urged the necessity of taking steps to prevent their paying the rent to Keegan, hinted that Usher had been with Miss Feemy that morning, and at last departed when he found that his master was not in a proper mood to be persuaded remarking that he would come up again in the morning when perhaps his honour would be thinking better of it and not break his promised word to the boys as there would be a great ruction among them if he didn't go down just to spake a word to them after what had passed besides mr thady he added if you were to go back now some of them boys as were in it last night would be going to jonas brown's thinking to get the first word again you thinking you know as how you would peach again them, maybe. 
after this threat pat took his leave and thady with a sad heart and low spirits which even three glasses of whiskey had not raised went in to dinner after swallowing a few hasty morsels without speaking either to his father or his sister he returned to the kitchen and again sat there smoking till one of the girls came in telling him that father john was on the steps of the hall door waiting for him that he couldn't come in but that he said he had important business to speak of and must see mr thady confound you muttered thady in a low voice why didn't you say i was out sure you never told me mr thady thady considered a moment whether he should escape through the back door at last however he plucked up his courage and went out to meet the priest end of section 21 the mcewans part 2